Hola socios, hola equipo. My name is Neil. I'm Liam. This is John Norberger from Kansas City, Missouri, USA. Maury Field near Brisbane in Queensland. Edinburgh, Barcelona. And I'm a socio. I'm a socio. I am a socio of The Big Interview. Hi, my name's Neil. I'm a socio of The Big Interview from Maury Field near Brisbane in Queensland. My favourite episode of the last season was the one with Sir Les Ferdinand. I never realised that he'd actually played in Turkey at the start of his career. Every time I listen to an episode, I always learn something new. Keep up the good work. Thanks. You're about to listen to an interview which our socios enjoyed in full 12 months ago. If you'd like to listen to these exclusive monthly big interviews on the day that they're released, it's time to join us. That means supporting us. It means the price of a pint per month. Go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter. Go now, join and become a socio. That means you'll get that extra big interview every month and you'll also unlock our entire archive straight away. All for £2.99 a month. It's the best deal in town, baby. And we need you. We met in Dublin, in Malahide Castle to be exact, between Robbie's return from Los Angeles, where he was voted the best ever foreign import into the MLS, and his departure for India, where he's about to begin a new chapter with Teddy Sheringham's Atletico de Kolkata. There's one thing I'm certain of, and it's that that won't be the last significant thing we hear from Robbie Keane in top-level football. I've rarely listened to anybody better describe the winning mentality which can limit the achievement of footballers who lack it than this man does. At his most annoyed, when he gets into the subject of people who don't try as hard or who simply aren't as committed to playing every week and winning as he is, his face involuntarily contorted up in fury and a red tide reached his neck as his annoyance at looking at people who don't share his values became very clear. This interview covers all of Robbie's remarkable career, but that theme, his burning desire to play every week and to win, runs all the way through it like a steely spine. Now, here's Robbie. Robbie Keane's with us. We're in his in his territory, a castle that he owns <laughs> in Malahide. Um, we've had a friend, Damien Duff, in common, and when we spoke to Damien... Like his praise for you was unstinting, and it's clear you're close friends. But you've given uh, me in watching you from the very first day I became aware of you, which was watching Football Focus, and you were at Wolves, mm. and they, Football Focus sent Frank Stapleton to do a sort of scouting of this brilliant young. Um, you were still, I think, seventeen at that just, stage. Just turned seventeen, yeah. So Staple was there, Irish legend. Mm. I've no idea if you know him, like him. I've spoken yeah. to him since, whatever. And obviously, as a as a different kind of striker to you at that stage, mm. he was very quick to praise um, what he saw about um, your speed and your wit and your movement, and your, your confidence. And I thought, all the way back then, here's something I need to watch. And you're giving us great joy. Most people listening to the big interview are never going to have the pleasure or the privilege of living in LA, of becoming, mm. soccer terms, the king of LA. Big success there. Take us to LA. What's life in LA like? It's probably one of the, the best places I've lived uh, since I played football. 
just a beautiful place to live. People are very, very nice, very, very friendly. There's so many different opportunities to do there, apart from obviously, you know, what I did. And I definitely highly recommend it. You're tearing up the stereotypes already about, like, the people are all a little bit wacky there. It's a film community. They only ever have, you know, egg whites, never the full egg, in case you gain, you know, half a pound. Mm. Do you never encounter anything like that in LA where you say, like, this is culturally quite idiosyncratic. This is quite strange. Quite, listen, everywhere you go, uh, you do get that, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, I've got so many friends there associating myself with people that, that are on my wavelength. And, and go have a poached egg instead of uh, <laughs> egg whites. So um, it, is, it is like that. It can be like that. Everywhere you go, is, everyone's an actor. Mm. Everyone's an actress. If you go, as I said, if you go and order poached eggs, you don't, the, the geezer's only there or the, the girl's only there because they're trying to be an actress or an actor. So it is a little bit like that. But as I said, I mean, that's just LA. It's, it's, it's kind of fascination with... Living there, kind of seeing that different side of it, but it's not as it's not as crazy as 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 people think it is. Is there crazy people there? Of course, it is. There's crazy people everywhere. Uh, people live in their own worlds sometimes and and think they're way bigger than actually what they are. But you can't fool a man from Tala. <laughs> how how weird a jump is it if you if you think back to the Robbie Keane of Tala and and whatever you experienced there. I'd say living relatively near to uh, Richard Dunn, growing yeah, up yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, Richie, I lived in Glen Chain. Uh, Richie lived in Kilnagan, which is only five minutes away. From that to there, from mm. that to LA, from Laurel Canyon, Hollywood, mm. what you've just been describing, everybody's got a script. Mm. Well, how big a jump is that? I, to try and get somebody who doesn't know you listening to this to understand the, 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 the change in attitudes to, personalities, cosmopolitan nature, or is, it, is the gap smaller than I imagine? Well, as I mentioned before, if, if, if you're going there and you're doing something, it's different, you know? People are going there to try to create something for themselves and trying to create, trying to be, as I said before, a Hollywood star. I'm going over there already knowing what I'm doing there. So for me, is, mm. and I always said this to people, and people that, it was going to, to sign to LA Galaxy, you're a footballer first and foremost. And the job that you do on the pitch and the job that you do for the, for the club is most important and everything else will take care of itself. If you're, if you're doing well for the club, everybody respects you then straight away. And that's, for me, the first thing I ever did when I, when I did my press conference was I said, I'm not here for a holiday. I'm here to win things. And I had that motto from the day I got there to the day I left. And I was very fortunate to win three championships in, in, in five, five years. So you have to go in there with that mentality. As I said, I'm going there already with a job, knowing exactly what I have to do. There's no search for identity or search for verification exactly. or somebody to love you because you're taller and blonde or you've got a great script. Yeah. You're there focused. But, I mean, the way you said it there, can't be surprised to anybody who watched you at any stage at all. So it isn't what you said in your first press conference. It, it struck me that you knew exactly what you were doing there and that there was a very damn good reason for you to go there. I'd speculate that you could have probably been more assured of winning things or probably, possibly, earning more with other choices instead of going to LA. So it felt to me from the start like a very active choice and something you knew what you wanted to get out of it. Yeah, of course. I, I mentioned to you before before we, we came on air here that I had choices... You know, to play in, in, in different countries, uh, different leagues. But sometimes 
you have to kind of leave your legacy behind, you know. You know, I had a great career in England. I was only 31 when I, when I decided to make the, the change to LA. So I could have played in the Premiership for another three years. No question. Or even longer. I'd say so, longer. Uh, and played in England. But sometimes, you know, you just... There's no point in just hanging around just, just for the sake of and just trying to get, get the numbers up. My experiences from playing in, in different leagues and different cultures... You know, I've got a, for me, I've got a, a greater story to tell when I finish playing football. And I knew realistically, if I stay in England, you know, 31, I'm not going to sign for, you know, the Chelsea's, the Man United, and, and, and Tottenham at that stage, we're at the level where they are now. So yeah. they're not really going to win anything. You know, and for me, I want to win, win things. I don't want to be sitting back and just playing on a Saturday afternoon just thinking that I'll pick up my wages and happy enough to just play the game and finish 10th in the league and score an extra, you know, I scored 126 Premiership goals, I think, so score, get a few more just for the sake of getting a few more. I wanted a change where I could go and make a difference somewhere. And for me, LA was obviously the, was a, was a good choice personally for me, for the family. Uh, when I spoke to, obviously, David Beckham, he'd nothing but great things to say uh, about the league, about the club itself, and everything he said about the club was, was, was spot on. What struck you about what he said? What, what were the key phrases that immediate... It wasn't just David Beckham telling you, because I guess previously, although you trained together at Spurs, it's not as if you were close, as if you could say, no. like, I know this man inside out, I can rely on his... What were the phrases and the themes that made you go, yeah, this is it? Well, he, the first thing he said was, we have a great team, but we're missing something. Mm. And what the, the, the thing we're missing is you. And we need you mm. to take us to the next level. And, uh, you know, when you hear someone like, you know, David Beckham, the career that he had, and as I said, I, I you know, was with him for a couple of months at, at Tottenham. We got on really well uh, in them few months. And we kind of hit, a, you know, a decent relationship in that two months, if you can. Um, and he was the one that told the, you know, Tim Lewicki at the time, who was the CEO, you need to get this, need to get this guy. So, I think when someone like him says that, you know, it's, of course, it gives you, you know, confidence and uh, gives you the players that he's played with over the years, and then the one person he's picked is you. So, he and plus David is one of these people that. He's so desperate to win things and yeah. so desperate for the team to do well that he's not just picking me just because I met him a couple of months before and we had a little chat. He's picking me because he knows that he's got a great chance of winning things if I'm there. And we're very, very fortunate of the first few months we're there, we lifted the trophy. My observation is, my guess, and listen, I say this to all the guests, if I'm wrong, then I expect you to tell me, mm. but Matt, that his phrase didn't actually give you like, a needed boost of confidence, I can do it there. Yeah. It sounded to me as if you went, that he's identified how I can make my mark, how yeah. I can change things, yeah. how I can advance a big project. And that was the key phrase yeah. for that reason. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it wasn't. I say confidence, I mean... No, I understand. Yeah, basically what you just said there is exactly... For me, it was just... He knew that they had a great chance of, of winning this and they needed someone else to kind of help them. And I was that. I was the, the last piece in the jigsaw. Can I ask you again? 
irrespective of the fact you scored at an extraordinary rate out there. And also, it seems to me, you did that thing that I love. Players with big-time mentalities score at the, at the big times. It's not just the total. It's when or in which situation, on the road, against which keeper. You did that. But it, it, it feels like David Beckham was saying something about you, the character, the leader, your hmm. competitive aggression, not just your goals. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, he ta- he th- yeah exactly. They were the forced. They were the things he said to Tim Lewicki, who was still a good friend of both of me and David's. Um, yeah, he said his, as I said, his, his winning mentality, his, uh, his goals, obviously, but he's someone that is desperate to win all the time. Um, and that's, you know, me and David, if you see the two of us in training with the LA Galaxy, you have, you have to understand is that me and David played at such a high level when we went to LA. These kids, some of the kids are coming from college. Mm-hmm. Some have played in the league for a few years, but they don't have, they don't have that winning mentality. And I've said this for, for, for five years. They're good kids. They've got a, a great honesty about them in terms of they work hard for each other. They're fit as lads. Technically, they're not, they're not as, as good as you would be in England, but sometimes after games, they would, you know, some of them be forget about the game and just, you know, joking on the bus where... Me and Dave would be fuming for two, three days if he lost the game. So we had to kind of, me and David, between both of us, had to try and flip that and try and change the mentality. And the one thing, my greatest achievement, I think, being that forget about winning the, the, three, the three cups, getting the MVP and stuff like that. My greatest achievement was changing the mentality mm-hmm. of all them players that played in that team. Whether I was in training, I wanted to win. Whether I was doing a shooting session, I wanted to win. And when it came to the games, I wanted to win. Didn't matter who was against. Didn't care who was against. A cup game against a lower team didn't make no difference to me where these guys never really had this. So I think my greatest achievement, and if you ask anybody, the, the head guys in LA Galaxy, I think that was, that was the one thing that they'd probably say. Can you take me back there? None of, none of the guys need to be named. I, I don't want any of them hung out for their lack of... That, that, that killer competitive mentality. Mm. But how can it be? You know, because if the one thing you learn about, you know, as you're here, I'm old, I'm old, a lot older than you, so I remember the, the, you know, the star rush with Pelly and Canaglia and mm. Worthington and Best out to American yeah. soccer the first time. And I found it exciting back then and it kind of failed. But one of the messages that's been dinned into all of us in Europe from then to now is, well, soccer can't grow because you've got all these other sports. All right, let's leave that aside. But in all those other sports, it's absolutely clear that they, they've got a killer sports instinct. That at the colleges, you play to get your free college education because you get a scholarship if you're good at sport. It's a very remorselessly winning culture in the States. I don't think they're particularly forgiving of people who lose. And yet there was a crop of, of athletic Nice mm. kids, good kids, mm. who you patently still like over four or five years. So we're talking about quite a, a big number of players, maybe yeah. 40, 45, 50 group of players. But some of them weren't, didn't have that hunger or aggression or competitiveness. How? Um, they started off, well, well, the answer is I can't really tell you how, because, I mean, as you said, in them different sports, it's, it, it's different, but maybe that, that wasn't the main sport. I don't know, where in Ireland, England, you grow up, you know, playing football in the street. You leave here at 15 years of age, go play, uh, 
go to England at a 15 player, 17 years of age. So he already, the players around you already have that mentality. So it's already driven into you. You already know that. Whether you're 15 years of age, you've got all these the youth managers around you. All the players are desperate to succeed. Maybe, which I found sometimes people just are happy to live in LA. Mm-hmm. Just enjoy living. Finish training, bang, straight to the beach. I'd be the last one off the training ground doing shooting, always, with the goalkeepers. I can't really answer what, because that's not... I can only give you my experience of the, me being there. Is it like that other clubs? I'm not too sure, I don't know. But I, I would suggest that it is. Then, I'm also fascinated by how gradually you make the change, you make your biggest legacy the thing most proud of, because you've imbued a new culture which will be handed down and it'll grow with a mushroom people will never go back from that. And maybe, I don't know if you ever talked about it, but one of the things that always struck me is David, but also the class of 92, talking about, who's that Cantona's out there again? You know the way we've talked about it? Mm. Because at first it, it wasn't well known that instead of training, there was practice as well. Mm. And Cantona would go out and the clever guys, the guys who could play yeah. and who were competitive, watched them and copied them, which I presume something similar happened for you at LA or else if you saw people who weren't getting the message... How did you do it? Did you take them aside? Was some of it as aggressive? Were you already acting as a psychologist or a coach when you were just changing that mentality? I would say more of a coach, acting like a coach. But uh, one thing about me is I'm not frightened to tell people, regardless who it is, of if they're doing something wrong. Uh, you know, people don't do, they don't mean to do something wrong. You know, like that's just, you do things wrong, sometimes young, younger Younger players need to know that. Um, for me, I was the, you know, they seen me as the, as the leader. When it came to big games, everybody looked up to me, me and David, and seen us as the ones that, if things are going bad, who are we going to turn to? Mm. And it was always me, me and David. Um, so I think by them seeing us the way we were on the training pitch and on the... On, the, in, on match days that they kind of got it from that and the training in the training ground if we're not winning if the possession is crap people giving the ball away silly people need to know that when I first went there you know the manager said you know these players are not really used to kind of players having a go at them uh, and I remember saying to them well you've got the wrong player here then. I said I'm here to win and it doesn't matter. I said, I will never disrespect any player or call them out in front of anybody. If I'm telling them something, it's for the benefit of the team. For a reason. It's for the benefit of the team and the benefit for us winning games. It's as simple as that. Uh, so there was times where you'd have to pull young lads aside, mm. which, which I've done at Tottenham. I was at Tottenham, Liverpool, the young kids that are coming through. You'd always put your arm around them and, and try and help them as much as as you could and listen young lads need, need guidance I had it myself when I was a young player when I was at Wolves with Steve Ball Don Goodman Steve Sedgley all these big name players no matter who you are you're learning the game you're learning the game so to get an experienced player to try and help you it's always always going to be beneficial to you so that was my kind of that was always me you know I'd dig someone out but I'd pull them afterwards and I'd tell them why I'd dig them out and and I said with the manager, the reason why I'm doing this is because I'm here to win. I'm not here to, to come here and just be taking part of, 
of a of a great LA Galaxy infrastructure where we're here because it's LA and people like to live here, people like to go to the beach and people I I'm here to, to lift trophies for this club mm. and that's end the story. Football t- t- although I explained to you before we began recording that you know I still have although I expect to have an, an a grown up vision, an analysis of football and I try to use that in my career. The thing that drives me deep down is a childlike love for football. Mm. Just like an unbel- I don't even know quite what it is, but it's just like inside mm. burning. What you learn and what you see and what you hear over the years, particularly when you're trusted by senior pros and coaches and you live abroad and you get access, is that football's a really odd sport. Mm. And the things you've described there, everybody listening will be going, well, that's right, that's who Robbie Keane is, that's what you should do in that situation, you pass on counsel, you demonstrate... But in dressing rooms or in squads, there are umpteen stories of a manager feeling threatened if a senior pro mm. is handing out information. Young players who either can't take it in or won't take it in or resent it and push back. Was there much of that? And just in the process of doing what you've just described, are you also learning a bit about yourself and your own communication? Or was there nothing new in that because you'd done it before all your life? Well, it was not new because I've done it before. And when I was given the armband from... Landon Donovan. Um, I was myself from when I was the captain of Tottenham, when I was at LA Galaxy. Of course, you learn things as you're captain. I was, I told, captain of 26, was he, with, with Ireland. So, I mean, you're not really born a captain. You, you have to grow into, into a role. I mean, you're 26 years of age. You're still relatively young. Uh, being captain of your national team is a huge, huge honour. And then... But you learn, you learn to how to speak to players when the right time is to speak to managers. Mm. Different when you're a captain, you have to. It's you're you're basically in between the coaching staff mm-hmm. and the players. Any little things go wrong, mm. the players come to you. I've got so many stories which I won't tell you today, but where people just come asking for ridiculous things to ask the coaching. Can we try, change the time for training and stuff like that? Like just like stupid times where it's like. And these are kind of young, not one say youngish players, and you're just looking at them go, these little small little things that you have to take it all in and then sit some people down and blah, blah, blah. And that was the same with the, you know, with the, with, with the Galaxy. And I know what you said about to, to the manager. When his manager's threatened yes. by, by senior players. Bruce Arena wasn't. Bruce Arena let basically me and David kind of... Say run the dressing room. I don't like that word, run the dressing room. Lieutenants? It's, it's, yeah, just take care of anything went wrong in the dressing room. We would want, we'd sort it out. Bruce didn't really want to deal with that. He's kind of a humble, quiet man. When he has to say something, he says something. But he kind of let the senior players kind of deal with the whole thing. So we, we did that and it was, it was no problem. And, but there is some managers that are threatened by senior players. Realised that this year when I when I was deciding really where I wanted to go, where people were in England were frightened to kind of take someone on like me because they're frightened of if they do get the sack, he might take over the job, which yeah. is which is really it's a shame really because you know it's important to have experienced players around because then experienced players could actually try and save people the job or they can help the younger players to grow and. 
that's really been, it's been an eye-opener for me, certainly in the last year. You, you've opened up something that I think is fundamental to, to what you've done in football and what I believe, genuinely believe in football. There are a lot of people who aren't in football to win. Mm. At all. No. Players and managers. And I've, I've heard other people talking about it, but the evidence of your own eyes and your, your own experience tell you. I've heard Ferguson going, uh, part of the reason for my success was I was consistently able to take big decisions, accept the risk, but move on quickly, mm. right or wrong, not sit on it. And during my reign, other managers might have been up around me and then fell away, fell away, fell away and started thinking about the security or something else other than a trophy. Totally agree with People do that all the time. And, and some of us who are the public, the paying public, don't understand that there are a lot of people out there in positions, whether it be chairman, manager, a coach, a scout, mm. or the actual footballers themselves going, if I can just keep at this level, I'll get another two, three years out of this, rather than being driven by excellence, putting yourself at risk, um, wanting to win, showing you want to win all the time, living like you want to win all the time. I think that in football is actually a smaller group than most people mm. know. I think it's probably got, it's definitely grown, I would say, in the last you know, five, five to ten years on the basis of you know, there's a lot of money in football. Mm. And I think we've seen that now. I mean, you've seen a lot of, a lot of young players you know, on a lot of money at big clubs where they've already think they've made it. And then you've got a lad from the non-league who's desperate, who's working in a factory, who's desperate to get where this young kid is and this young kid thinks he's already there. So that's why we've seen in the last few years the Vardys and people like that coming through because they're desperate to play and they have the hunger, desire to want to make it as a football player. When you're 17, 15, 16, and you're getting 10, 20 grand a week, I mean... That's, that's the problem with these players. And, and I'm not the first person that said that. This has been going around now for the last couple of years. A lot of big players have been talking about this. That they're sitting and dwelling on, uh, you know, driving nice cars. Which is no problem. You drive a nice car, 100%. But if you're producing for your team and you're there because you wanna, you're solely there to play for that first team, not you're just sitting on, on your 10, 20 grand a week. And that's a shame for me because... That's the difference between someone, as you said, that hunger, that mentality to want to and be desperate for a footballer. I've seen so many young players now that they leave the club and go, oh, I should have done this, should have done that. And it's, it's, it's too late then. And it's just like, so, I've spoken to so many young players and I'm just thinking to myself, oh, and when I speak to young players now about, I said, just don't, when you've got that, when you've got that by the... Or the balls keep it mm. hold on to it mm. don't let it go mm. uh, but there's a lot of too many young players doing that as I said that's why we've seen this you know majority of a lot of players from the non-leagues com- coming through and being successful because they have that hunger and desire it's driving you crazy even talking about it yeah it is yeah. even naming it you've done your Robert De Niro face there twice mm. which got me scared but you weren't being paid 20 grand at rules or company, were you? A week? 30 grand or 40 grand a week at company? £25.50 I was paid. So, <laughs> I wasn't fishing there. Uh, if you'd been paid 20 or 30 grand a week by Gordon Strachan, or at Wolves, 
Would that have done? And you're driving around in a really nice car. Would that have dulled your hunger? Gordon Strachan said to me, he called me when I was at Wolves. He was best mate with Mark McGee, who was my manager at Wolves. Still is, yeah, still is. Um, For taking Scotland to a tournament that I genuinely hope the boys in green are at as well, honestly. (laughs) But you've had your turn. Gordon and Mark are taking (laughs) us to Russia. Okay, it had to come out at some stage. Hopefully bottles are there. That's what Um, I'm saying. So I remember, so I was at Wolves, I think, I was a first contract, my second contract was like a grand or something like that, 1500 a week or something like that. And I was, I was playing you know, 20, 30 games, you know, for Wolves banging the goals in, you know. And for me, that was a lot of money. Obviously, you know, from getting you know, £37.50 a week, I think it was. So when I was, going to, um, when I was going to Coventry, I got a call from uh, Mark McGee in my old good mate Dougie Friedman's house who I, who I actually bought off him because he was moving to Crystal Palace <laughs> I was a young kid and I just his, his wife kept uh, I just said just leave everything just leave everything in the house <laughs> so I don't have to buy anything smart it, move yeah, clever clever <laughs> now we see how you managed to move around the world did you, did you say that to Ray Charles as well, we'll <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll come back to that we'll come back to that so, uh, so I remember getting a phone call from uh, Gordon Strachan's house and the first thing he says, Robbie, how are you doing? Gordon Strachan here. Do you want to be a millionaire? <laughs> As you know, Gordon, very, very witty. He was the second guest on the big interview. He's brilliant. He's outstandingly he's, quick and funny uh, and, and, and that was the talented. First, first thing he says to me, listen, the money I was getting there was, was good money, but it was nowhere near. As I said, these young players getting out. And I left for six million. So that, that's, that's the difference. But forget about money. Would it have dulled your hunger? Would it have dulled your hunger? Well, it hasn't because I've been very, very fortunate. Enough. Even then, Robbie, I'm, no. I'm going back to... The, I'm drawing a comparison with who you were talking about and you then, if somebody well, said... Well, the equivalent then would be a lot of money now, Claire. So, yeah? And I was only 18 years of age, 19 years of age, so it was, for me, it was a lot, a lot of money. But for, for me, it was just... I was obsessed with playing football, obsessed with scoring goals, and didn't matter... Anything around me or what I had or what car I was driving, what this, that was completely irrelevant to me. For me, was on a Saturday morning, win this game and score goals. And that was being my mentality from the day I played against Norwich away and won 2 0 to this day as we're speaking now. I've never been driven by, by money because if you're successful, that will always come. I know that footballers often, when I ask questions like this, sort of push back because either they haven't or they don't want to. But have you ever kind of looked in and said, where, where really has that come from? Well, I, I think, it, well, it's definitely come from where I come from because I come from, you know, come from Tala where it's, you know, it's great area, you know, tough area. You have to be, you have to be mentally strong. Uh, a lot of a lot of shit happened there when I was younger that I've seen that maybe other kids and don't get me wrong there's, around the world there's way more worse things that, that is happening but I can only go on what I've seen you know and you know rob cars on the street and drugs and stuff like that but it was no for me growing up there I didn't know anything different mm. so and as I said, you had to look after yourself. There was fights on the street. You have to be strong. Uh, you couldn't back away from people. 
you couldn't show that weakness, mm-hmm. that sign of weakness where people would try and bully you. So that's, I think I definitely get it from there. And also, for the love of playing football, I just absolutely love football. There's like, I can't stress this enough, and I've said this for 20 years. I play football for free, and you look back all my interviews, I've said this. Sunday morning, when I come home in the summer, first thing I do, all my friends, we play five-a-side. All of us from this, my area where I was brought up in Tala. My brother, cousins, best mates. Uh, and this, this kind of months that I've had off, same thing. Do you know who did that? Um, this is a little tossing. I wasn't there, so I'm not name-dropping. But it's famous now that your manager at Inter, Lippi, mm. at Juventus, was driven to distraction. So David says to Zidane, there's, there's, there's some immigrant fellas play on a strip of tarmac over there. There's a game going, there's a bunch of them. Zidane's like, leave me alone. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. We'll play. So Zidane and Dabitz are playing at the height of their Juve career, a bounce game on rough terrain in, in, in Turin, simply because Zidane's been dragged in by Dabitz. One, I guess you understand that, mm. that mentality, because it never happened to any of you. Imagine you break something, I'm at a Tarso in a, in a flipping game where you're, no matter if it's your cousin, you just go over your ankle, nobody kicks you and She's your club and the lawyers and you didn't care about the rest. They didn't care about the rest. Lippi had to drive around and say, oh, in his, in his most beautiful Italian, looking like Paul Newman, stop that, you. <laughs> but you never bothered about the, the risk you were taking with your career there. Uh, listen, obviously in the back of my mind when I'm, when I'm playing with friends, you know, I mean, they're not stupid. I mean, I'd be running around, no problem. I'd play as, as hard as possible. Uh, but... They were clever enough to know that they couldn't, they couldn't tackle me and not do something stupid that's going to obviously jeopardise me getting injured. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So Gordon Strack was a, a guest, so was you know, a really close friend of yours who I admire and adore. Damon Duff is, mm. is one hell of a guy. But you'd understand one of the first things he's... He surprised me a lot because we tracked it from a Peter Beardsley thing. We said to Peter, if your house was burning down, what would you save? And he said, still to this day, my football. <laughs> I'm, not worried, I'm not so worried about the, you know, like the, the TV and the computer, but the photos in the family came after the football. Yeah. And it was at this point that Damon said, listen, well, you know, I, I, I still miss a football so much that of a Tuesday morning, I hire a, on his own... And AstroTurf pitch just to get out there mm. and kick the ball and yeah. play. And I understood it. Martin understood it. I think the, the listeners understood. You'd, you'd understand exactly that. Like if, if you didn't have 
you know, like say, you're living abroad, you're living in, on your own, you're not playing, you'd go and get a ball and kick it, would you? Mm. You'd go and buy a ball. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, I mean, every time I go on holidays with the kids, the first thing we do is get a ball on the beach playing or whatever we can get a bit of grass. Uh, used to go to Sardinia quite a lot and used to be well, all the guests. Uh, there's a little five-a-side pitch in, in a hotel called Cala de Volpe. And uh, used to play with the guests all the time. So it was... Uh, <laughs> It was, uh, I wish I'd have done this interview before. I love that. That's absolutely the way it should be. And as you mentioned, Damien, you know, Damien, you know, me and, as you know, me and Damien, you know, you know, best of friends and uh, wonderful, wonderful player. One of the best, the, the best I've ever played with as, as, as a left winger, a right winger, wherever we, at that moment he played. But we've played a few games in, and obviously in the last few months since we've been home and the buzz kind of the two of us still get, uh, you know, it was incredible. He's an extraordinary player, and I, I, I want to end this section a little bit by saying I think you've been asked a lot, and it's a brilliant exercise. Say your best eleven or your favourite, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Your answers are, are obviously they tell a lot about you, mm-hmm. and you've always got one of our recent guests, Ledley King, in your in mm-hmm. your in your eleven, and I understand why. But given that the people who don't share your mad desire to win and to play all the time were driving you crazy a minute ago, let me go the other way and calm you mm. down by saying, give me, give me five of the guys you've played with throughout your life or seen or played against who you know have got exactly that same driving hunger above the rest to win. That thing that you were identifying that's kept you like a 25-year-old, even yeah. at 37... Who'd be five or six of the guys that you well, like? Yeah, they're like me. They're my clan. There's well, I could name loads to be honest with you. Oh, yeah? I've got yeah, I could name I could name a lot of a lot of players. I mean, if I go from the teams that I've I've played with, the Gary McAllisters, at Coventry, to the at Leeds, to the people like David Batty, you know, strong personalities and you know just just want to win, but great characters, like. Off the field, you now I'm just off the top of my head. I'm just I'm just thinking to the, the Stephen Gerrards of, of of Liverpool who would do anything for his club, as as we've seen over uh, in the 20 years that he was playing for them. Do anything to win, and that mentality, the, the drive that he has to succeed as a as a player, as a person, and and for his beloved club to to Tottenham, where I've played with. So many different, different players and and different characters. You know, just because people, you know, shout about and have that doesn't. Some people have the winner mentality mm. in a different way. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, hundred it, percent. It, and the shouting and the noise isn't it, always the right thing, no, or doesn't no. actually show what you've got to show for the ball. That's braver than shouting. Yeah, yeah. You got people like say say Luca say Luca Modric say he was he he always want the ball no matter where. Mm. He wasn't the pitcher. For me, for someone like him, he has that mentality because he's not frightened. Mm-hmm. He's not frightened to pick the ball up anywhere in, in dangerous areas. And for me, that's a winner mentality also. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the people like Roy Keynes, you know, who's got that, that drive and that mentality where all he wants to do is just win, 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 which is brilliant. And get the ball, knows his limitations in terms of Get the ball, win it, give it to someone quickly. Protect the back four, protect his team at all costs. And you know, that's a different that's a different kind of mentality. And then 
uh, I've probably named about 10 there. <laughs> I'm not too sure. So there's, there's all different kind of characters that I've played with that has that driven mentality. And I, I, I couldn't, as I said, each, each of them are, are different. You couldn't name Roy Keane, same as Luka Modric. But he had that driven. You've seen that now with Real Madrid. You know, he's, he's gone from been getting stick for four three years there to now being the best midfield player. They adore him. And, and without him, almost everything suffers. It isn't just with the ball or the passing options. It's tempo. Yeah. It's about when to play side to side or up and down. It's the connection between... He's fabulous the to connection watch. between the, the, the backs and the, and the strikers. We, this isn't an advert. Listen, everybody who's sitting at home groaning, sorry, or not really, with Slavin Bilic in Germany recently, and he was talking to us about Luka and his development. He said he saw him coming through young in Croatia, and there were the chances to go to other bigger teams young, and he stayed and he played. He said he played and he played and he played and he played and he changed. That thing about the, the transfer of promising talent, 16, mm. 15, 16, say, and then... Ready, yeah. nineteen twenty. I guess that's singing a sweet song to you, simply because I've heard you say what a lot of people would say was a strange choice at the time: Liverpool Wolves. Mm. And I think part of your decision was, I know where I'll play mm. and, and and learn and grow, yeah. and that's fundamental to to becoming the type of player you're describing, isn't it? A hundred percent. And I've listen. I would never tell a young lad to go here instead of there. And uh, that's totally their choice. And I've, I've had it over the years with a lot of players that young players from Dublin, for example, asking me my opinion. And I said, well, I can only give you on my experience what's happened to me, really. I could have signed for Liverpool, the team that I supported as a kid, or go to Wolves that, if I'm being totally honest, never really heard of. No. Um, Obviously, at that time there wasn't a lot. There wasn't the, the fourth division the championship games at the time going on, so you'd never see them on TV. Uh, obviously, all the, the top top flight uh, teams like Liverpool, Man United, Tottenham's of this world of Arsenal's, you would see obviously, but you would never see the likes of Wolves and stuff. So I never really heard of them. But as soon as I went to Wolves, I had a had a real good feeling. It was a guy, Chris Evans. Yeah, who made me feel really at home. And I knew if I'm going to play quickly somewhere, Wolves, Liverpool, it's 100% going to be Wolves. Hmm. And, that's, that's because, and that wasn't me saying I'm not going to play for Liverpool. That was me recognising that hmm. there's probably five Robbie Keynes there where there's only one here. So I've got more of a chance of playing fourth team quickly. And... My mother gave me this advice, and she hasn't got a clue about football, but it's, it's the great advice she gave me. She says, don't just sign for Liverpool just because you support them. Mm-hmm. Sign for the team where you think that is going to help you and you feel more comfortable. And don't, Liverpool, they, they were brilliant to me when I was there. Mm-hmm. But Wolves just felt like, felt good. And as I said, in my mind was, I want to play for this team now. At 15, I, I want to play now. So I had that one year where I scored 60 goals, I think, in the, in the U team. And I went back, I went back to a pre-season where I was a, ski, I was, I was a skinny, skinny lad at the U team. And the, Chris Turner used to play for Man United as a goalkeeper. 
actually uh, after every game, said if he scored every game, which was every week usually, they give me twenty quid and he goes, "Go and get McDonald's. You need to fill out." McDonald's. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> Imagine that happening now. So we, we did have that once. It was it was, it was Jordy. We Jordy said that even as a talented kid at Chelsea, they would all go queue up for for burgers and chips. Yeah, yeah. So he goes, "Go and get. You need to fill out." So I was this little skinny, scrawny kid from Dublin. So the difference between now I'm not saying the McDonald's helped me at all, <laughs> uh, and I wouldn't recommend it. There's definitely other ways to to get bigger and stronger. But that was at that time that was there was no sports science then or nothing. So that year between that summer when I came back, I grew, I got physically stronger, uh, I got taller. Training with the U team, and I got the, the call from from Martin Gee to come down and train with uh, train with the force team. And uh, my first ever session with the, with the force team, the ball came into me and I flicked over Kiko's head and I scored. And he tried to smash me the whole time in the training session. But I was so confident and so cocky, but arrogant in a, in a not in a, in a way where F you or something like that, in, in terms of how I played. Yeah. I didn't care who I was playing against. Yeah. It was Kiko, played for, played for England, Man City, captain of the, of the club. And I just basically took the piss out of him. And he tried to smash me for the whole training session. And Mark McGee goes, obviously they knew me before that, but you know, he's coming away with us on, on pre-season tour to, uh, to actually Scotland. Well, Mark was, Mark was, for everybody who's not aware of Mark, Mark was you know, a fabulous player for Alex Ferguson's Aberdeen, my team. Crossed for the winning goal in the Cup Winners Cup in 93 against Real Madrid. We don't talk about that time. Thank you very much <laughs> indeed. And... Oh, listen, you've thrown it in there, Robbie. Listen, I wasn't going to go there, but like, oh, listen, you'll never beat the Irish. You'll never beat the Dandies. You know, Aberdeen was the one that got away from me, if I remember correctly. You snuck out of Petodre with a 4-4 draw. Was it, yeah? Yeah. What do you mean, was it, yeah? <laughs> Stephen McLean, two penalties. You were 4-2 up at Petodre and we, yeah. Uh... I can't remember that. <laughs> Just like, I can't remember you at Celtic, Mark. But very, very, you know, a really talented centre-forward and also somebody who could move intelligently. He wasn't just an out-and-out number nine. Yeah. I, I don't know, you've spoken fondly of him. There would have been tuition as well as him admiring you and spotting you and promoting you and liking what he did to Keith Carroll, who I, I think was at Wimbledon too. And yeah, Keith was, would have yes. probably learned with some sort of tougher kind oh, yeah. of well, blokes. He, he would have played with Vinnie Jones and stuff, wouldn't he? So, Vinnie, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Mark was, Mark was great, great for me. Obviously, I mean, I just literally just turned 17 and... You know, I made my debut. I turned 17 in July, and made my debut in August. So, I mean, I was still, you know, very, 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 very young for someone. Someone to give a young kid that opportunity at that time was uh, was a huge statement. And um, you know, for me, it was to you know to basically repay him. And then, as I said, mentioned before that, you know, to play Norwich away and to score two goals on, on my debut to yeah. win two 0 was. You know, was was any 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 kids any kids dream really? Thank you for joining us for season 2018-19. We've got huge creative plans for the months ahead, but we do need your help to make them happen. Please go right now to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and become a social, become a paying member, and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. Last season. Socios listened to nine exclusive big interviews, including Rafa van der Vaart, 
Troy Deeney, Roberto Di Matteo, and loads of me talking about football. The Premier League, the Champions League, Spanish football. I'm sure they enjoyed it and you will too. Support us, join us. Thank you.